Good morning, everyone. Well, I uh, just want to say, as I was preparing this this week, um, this is a, a difficult message because it's really directed um, at religious people. If, I think a lot of times we read through the Gospels and we, we place ourselves, we, we resonate with, like, this guy with the shriveled hand. That's who we resonate with. Who we really should be resonating with is the Pharisees. That's who we are, right? We're the religious people. So when I was going through this week, it really, um, God convicted me of a lot of things. I... I uh, I, I pride myself in kind of being loving and non-critical, but uh, a lot of things were exposed in my life. So I, I hope that God will, will do the same for you as we work through this, um, as Jesus seems to be in this passage deliberately provoking a confrontation with religious people, with people like you and I. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we work through the passage. Father, we uh, again stand in your presence here. We know that you are present with your people, not only in a general way, but in very specific ways, God. You, you dwell among us as the church. You empower us to, to be the church. But, God, your spirit moves among us in, in ways that uh, enable us to hear things that we otherwise wouldn't hear because we don't have the spiritual ears for it. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to open our ears today, our hearts, that we might accept these things, understand this passage in our own personal context that we might love you, that we might serve you, that our hearts might become more like yours, Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so, again, at this passage here in, in chapter 3, it seems at this point, after all these controversies that Jesus has kind of gone through with the Pharisees, it seems at this point he kind of deliberately seeks a conflict. He actually goes into the synagogue where religious people, imagine Jesus walking through the doors today and sitting down here and looking at each one of our hearts and seeing what we're actually thinking right now, what our concerns are, where our focus really is. That's what Jesus is doing here. Um, they um, have previously, as we talked about, they have told Jesus not to claim to forgive sins. They, they, told, they don't want him to consort with, with sinners, with people who aren't religious. They want him to follow the law and, and do um, fasting as they determine what fasting should look like. Um, he, they've told Jesus and his disciples not to work during Sabbath, even if you're hungry, even if life is in, in jeopardy, don't, don't work on the Sabbath. Their hardness of heart towards concern, compassion towards people, really is almost overwhelming if you think that these are the religious leaders, these are the religious people, these are the people who are God followers, these are the people who love God, but yet their, their attitude towards those who are outside of their circle it seems to be one not of mercy, but of condemnation. And so Jesus at this point is, I think, very frustrated. He, he's at a boiling point. We see at the end of the passage, he's very angry. He he's, comes into the synagogue, and he overtly invites critical judgment for what he is about to do. So Jesus just enters into the lion's den, and he begins to provoke them, to, to show them something about themselves they were unable to see in any other way. And hopefully, as we go through this passage, maybe we'll see some things that we wouldn't see unless we looked at ourselves through those lenses. So the first thing Jesus does here when he confronts them is it exposes their critical hearts. Verse 1 and 2 again. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely. 
to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Instead of paying attention to the guy in need, the guy with the shriveled hand, in the church, in the synagogue for healing, they're watching Jesus. How are we going to get this guy? You see, their, their minds are in the wrong place. And so Jesus isn't outside. He's not in the public arena. He's not in the marketplace. He's not walking down the street. He goes to the place where the religious people are to confront them where their traditions ruled. He went there specifically to confront them because their traditions were the problem. They weren't seeing what they should be seeing. And Jesus knew when you have a legalistic spirit, when that's where your mind's at, you become critical. Always on the lookout for what is wrong and seldom on the lookout for what is right. And that's on the screen. And when we're looking at that, when I, when I first look at something like that, I go, yeah, people are often critical of me, right? That's how I think of that, right? Don't think of it that way. Think about your heart. Because remember, the context here is Jesus is talking to people like us. He's confronting people like us, religious people. And so now, because he's there, the Pharisees, they're eyeballing Jesus. They're looking at him. They're watching him to see if he's messed up. And that verb there, so they watched him closely, it's, it's imperfect, which means it's a continuing action, which means that this was their, they do this all the time. They follow Jesus around, and they're watching. When are you going to mess up, Jesus? That was their life. They weren't going around trying to do good. They weren't going around trying to figure out who Jesus is. They weren't going around following Jesus to see if there's any of the needs that Jesus missed that they could, they could find help with. They were watching Jesus to get rid of Jesus. Their eyes, their hearts were in the wrong place. They had one goal in mind. The scripture says that they sought to accuse him. They wanted to accuse Jesus uh, of something, probably a legal charge. Remember, the Old Testament in Exodus 31 says, if you break the Sabbath, the penalty is death. And so they're looking for this guy to break something, a law, where they could go to the Roman government and get permission to do away with Jesus. This man's problem, the, the, the man with the shriveled hand, the Pharisees are thinking, it's not life-threatening, it's just a shriveled hand. So Jesus shouldn't heal the man. He can wait. It could wait till Sunday. It can wait till Monday, and then Jesus can do his healing. But right now on the Sabbath, no no work, no, no healing. Jesus should wait. And if Jesus healed that man today, they could accuse him of breaking this, the Sabbath. And so concerned were the Pharisees of this time about violating the Sabbath that one well-respected rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, which is often quoted, you know, uh, Hillel says this, Shammai says, this is what Shammai says regarding the Sabbath. He was so um, strict with the Sabbath that he opposed praying for or visiting sick people on the Sabbath. That was against the rules. You couldn't pray for a sick person. You couldn't visit. This is what he said. He said, heal another day, but not today, referring to the Sabbath. Do good another day, but not today, referring to the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees at this time were so focused on what was good to do according to their traditions, their law, that they, they missed the whole intent and they were looking in the wrong place. They were looking out there. They were looking at Jesus when they, when they sure, should have been looking is right here in their own critical hearts. This is what Jesus says about them in another passage from Matthew 23. The Pharisees, religious people, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. It's good for them, but not for me. He also said this. Woe to you, scribes, 
Pharisees, religious people, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte or one convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. And so religious people, we go around and we make other religious people. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus does not want religious people. Jesus wants worshipers. Jesus wants people of mercy. Jesus wants people with hearts that are like his. And the heart here is not one of, of mercy, but one of, of being critical. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.8 about the law. Because this, this is the, the key here. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. So the way the Pharisees were using the law, the law was, was not good because it wasn't being used properly. We do this all the time. We take the good gifts of God and we add to and we twist them until they become something that is bad. We take the Sabbath, meant for man, meant to be a good. We twist it around and it becomes a burden. We take the law, meant to be good, to point us to Christ. We, add, we, we make it law and we put it in our lives. It becomes bad. We do it with sexuality all the time. The way God designed it, a, a great gift from God. We twist that and it becomes a bad thing. We do it with diverse thinking. Where everybody, if we're supposed to be good Christians, we're all supposed to think alike. If you don't, it's a bad thing. Diversity of thinking. Think about how God created things. God created diversity. All the way down to the molecular level, there is diversity, right? And so we take these good things of God and we twist them and we make them bad. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're taking these good things and they saw through the lens of their critical hearts. The real problem here, this is on the screen, was that the Pharisees were enslaved to their own critical hearts. It wasn't really about the law. They did their best to enslave others as well by adding to and twisting God's law. They had critical hearts. All they saw was the bad. All they saw, they, didn't, they couldn't get beyond the act to see the intent that God's heart was trying to get across. But Jesus moves on as he, he exposes their critical hearts. He next moves on to their unloving hearts. He exposes their unloving hearts. Not only, not only were they critical about everyone, but they also were unloving. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone then Jesus asked them, which is lawful, them is the Pharisees, by the way, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Those mean the same thing, do good or do evil, save life or kill, that save life or kill is hyperbole. He's using hyperbole to make a point. Should, what's the Sabbath for, he's asking? Is it for doing good or is it for doing bad? You've got to pick one because right now what you guys are doing is a shriveled guy, a guy with a shriveled hand in need right in front of you, and you're looking to accuse me. What's the Sabbath for? For this or for that? Pick one. And so he begins to challenge them. And so at this point, you could probably cut the tension with a knife. Jesus is glaring at them. They're glaring at Jesus. And the question is, who is going to blink? Right? This is a stare contest. He's looking around. Stand up in front of everyone. What, what, and, and they're remaining silent, but they're looking at each other. Is Jesus going to walk away? Is this like a, no, I'll just keep peace in the church. Right? Keep peace in this. Let's just walk away. No, we don't confront people. We're going to worship. We're going to do the right thing because worship is about doing this, not about. And Jesus is, again, even turning what worship is. If, you, if your heart's not right, there is no worship. And so for Jesus... There is absolutely no retreat in his message and no backing down in his actions. With the courage of Jesus' convictions, he presses forward, obedient to the will of God, regardless of the consequences. Jesus moves forward, doesn't care what the consequences are. 
he's attacking people that really hold his life in their hands. But he doesn't care because something more important is at stake. It's whether people of faith love well, whether people of faith are merciful rather than critical. And so Jesus commands this man, stand before us. Come up here to the front. Come to the front where everyone can see what's going to happen because he didn't want anyone to miss what was about to happen. And it's really, he's provoking them. He's provoking the leaders, the Jewish leaders, to see something because their hearts were so hard. And so he commands the man, stretch out your hand. And immediately as he stretches out his hand, that's kind of the thing, idea, his hand's withered. And as he pushes it out, it's being healed in the process. Immediately his hand is healed. And, and this is kind of a foretaste of what the, the gospel promises that one day, physical, spiritual, will be, will be done away with. And Jesus is trying to show them something beyond what they saw in front of them, that there's, there's something in the future that Jesus is about to bring. This is from Revelation, very familiar verse. He, that's God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. The Pharisees were not holding on to, they were holding on to the previous things. And they weren't seeing the coming kingdom that promised, promised relief from slavery of sin and full restoration of, of the whole human being. And so what Jesus does here in the synagogue by healing this man on the Sabbath, by breaking the Sabbath, what Jesus does is actually fulfills the intent and the heart of the Mosaic law. What they missed. They were missing why the law was given. The law was given to point to Jesus, to a greater thing, the new thing that Jesus was uh, to do. And so he, he makes it very clear um, to them what he's all about. This was an ongoing problem with scribes and Pharisees. Later on, we'll get to, I'll mention it briefly, Mark 12. Remember, a scribe comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the most important law? most important command of all. This is what Jesus says in Mark 12, most important command. They're thinking fasting, Sabbath, purity laws, those type of things. This is what he says. This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel. Whenever Jesus says listen or hear, O Israel, that means listen. He's going to say something astounding, something really important, something life-defining, and he says it. The Lord, love the Lord, listen to Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. At that point, all the religious people are going, yes, we love God. We love God by keeping his commands. And, and then he says, and the second is this, and they go together, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than, what? These, plural. You can't do one without the other. And that's what the Pharisees are missing. You can't love God if you're not loving your neighbor. If you don't love your neighbor, you're really not loving God. You say you love God in the synagogue, but the guy with a shriveled hand is there, and you say you love God, you want to worship him, but you're not loving your neighbor. You're, you're, you made an error. You're not, your heart is unloving. You're focused in the wrong place. And so in this act of mercy, what Jesus does here is loves the Father by showing his character and compassion towards this man. Um, he, he, this touch, this, this, this connection with this man, the Pharisees knew nothing about. But many of them didn't. They, they were far from fulfilling the law of Moses. All they saw was doing the right thing, and their hearts were critical, their hearts were unloving, and they knew it because they remained silent. 
They didn't retort. They didn't rebuke Jesus. Their silence condemned them. They had a tragic flaw in their theology. Their theology was concerning the nature of God. God is a God of grace and of mercy, of love and of compassion, not of slavery to the law that could never, ever save or bring freedom. They had it backwards. So Jesus exposes their critical hearts. He exposes their unloving hearts. And then he goes on as he heals the man to expose their self-righteous hearts. Verse 5. He looked around at them in anger. Imagine that they're silent. Just, just think about this scene. The religiously, the, the leaders of the church are there. And Jesus just... just looking into their eyes, just going around, just staring at them. And it says he is angry at them. He's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He's going, why don't you people know this? Remember in John 3, you, to, to Nicodemus, you're a leader of Israel, and, and you don't know these things? I think Jesus is dumbfounded that, that this is where religious leadership has got in Israel. And so he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees, instead of going, oh, Jesus is right. We got this wrong. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So after questioning the Pharisees, Jesus surveys that room carefully, looking into each of their eyes, and he's both angered and grieved. This is Jesus' response to critical hearts, unloving hearts, and self-righteousness. He is angry. He is angry at religious people for having this type of heart. <clears throat> Jesus never becomes angry at tax collectors. He never becomes angry at prostitutes. He never becomes angry at the normal people just, just suffering in their sin. Only angry at self-righteous religious people. That's where Jesus' anger always, look through the scriptures, that's where his anger always is. Why? Because we have the words of truth. We have responsibility to live out what they say. Those who are racked in sin, still under the power and slavery of sin, don't have the power. He's not angry at them. He wants, he wants to redeem them. He's angry at people like us when we know what is good and choose not to do it. So the religious outcasts, at least, they acknowledged the depravity. They, they saw their sin, whereas the religious elite of this time, they saw themselves as pure and holy. Pride is deceitful. Pride is dangerous. And um, unlike any other sin, it provokes the Lord to righteous anger when we have pride in ourselves. So it was right for Jesus to feel that way about the Pharisees. And it is right when God is angry at us because of our critical hearts, our unloving hearts, and our self-righteousness. So Jesus exposes them by healing the man, modeling true compassion. He shows us what to do with people. He shows compassion and love, and he shows righteousness to anyone who has eyes to see. If we can look beyond our hearts and see what Jesus is trying to say to us, it's something to stand. It should be life-changing for us. Here in this passage, the Herodians show up for the first time. Uh, the Herodians don't seem to be a, a distinct political group. It's not like the Pharisees and Sadducees or Essenes, another religious group. They appeared simply to be wealthy and influential supporter of the Herods, the, the, the Herod family, uh, and, and the rule that they had over Palestine. 
Uh, there's only three passing references to the group in the New Testament and not many others in history. Uh, each time, they're in a surprising alliance with the Pharisees. And this is really unexpected because uh, the Herodians were supportive of the Hellenistic, the Greco-Roman government, whereas the Pharisees wanted to get rid of the Roman government. But every time you see the Herodians and the Pharisees, they are, they're together. Um, they, they, in fact, other writings say that the Pharisees and Herodians hated each other, but their common disdain for Jesus made them strange bedfellows. They wanted to get together to get rid of this Galilean troublemaker, and they immediately conspired together so they could get rid of this guy who was both a threat to Herod's reign and also to the Pharisees' power. And so despite their hatred for one another, they had something in common. They hated Jesus, and they got together and plotted against him. Here's the thing. Their hatred was coupled with fear. Hatred and fear together, and, and both hatred and fear were very fervent. They hated Jesus. They feared what, he, what Jesus was doing, kind of rocking the tables both politically and socially and religiously. And, and um, that combination of hatred and fear can lead us to great unspeakable evil, even as followers of Christ. If we let our hatred and our fear it can lead us to great evil like it does with them. Matter of fact, it, it's leading our country right now. Just the, yesterday, we all know two mass shootings, right? Um, why do people do that? It's not even to include, I just looked it up this morning, matter of fact. This, uh, this weekend, last weekend, I should say this weekend. We don't know this weekend yet. Last weekend in Chicago, nine killed, 36 wounded, right? The weekend before, 17 killed. 17 people killed. Right? And like 40-something wounded in Chicago every weekend. Why? Fear and hatred comes in, and it can, it, can, it can bring unspeakable evil. Don't think that your heart or my heart is pure enough that it can't happen with us. Right? Our fear and our hatred can lead us to do unspeakable things because we don't check our heart, because we're critical and, and we're unloving. And we're self-righteous in many ways. And Jesus wants to expose those things in our lives so our hearts become like his, not something that's pharisaical. So here's the application. Number one, biblical principles help us clarify situations and our heart attitude. If you want to know what to do in a situation or where your heart is, then what's the principle in Scripture? Jesus asks a question to lay down the principle. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Jesus is emphasizing something with a question that everybody knows the answer to. The Pharisees didn't go, oh, it's lawful to kill and do bad on the Sabbath. They wouldn't answer that, right? He's not looking for an answer. He's trying to expose something about their thinking. And so when Jesus asks a question, it helps us clarify situations in our own heart. Clearly, to leave a man unhealed when Jesus had the power to do something about it was evil. And that's Jesus' point. It's not good to let someone who is suffering because of an arbitrary law to let them continue to suffer. Do what is good. This is what Paul, I mean, excuse me, James says in James 4. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Right? A lot of times we don't do the good that we're supposed to do because we have these religious rules that keep us from doing it. Those religious rules become sin. And we take what is good 
and we make it evil. Evil. To do good in the Sabbath, to heal that man, was obviously the right course of action. We all know in our heart, that's the right thing to do. We, we're amazed at the compassion of Jesus. We're amazed at the wisdom of Jesus. We're amazed at, at his willing to sacrifice and not compromise despite the, 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 um, the, the opposition that he has. Um, the Pharisees couldn't reply without condemning themselves. It sh- was showing their hearts. When you approach the scriptures, when you see something, do you remain silent before them? Or are you listening to what Jesus is trying to say to your heart? Mark records that Jesus was angry and grieved at the stubbornness of their hearts. It's one of the very few occasions where Mark records the anger and grief of Jesus. And we need to take note what caused it. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not about, oh, you you blew it and Jesus is mad. You do good and Jesus is is happy with you. That's not what I'm talking about. God is pleased with us in Christ, right? That's, That's settled, right? He's pleased with us in Christ. But he's also concerned with our sanctification, our growing in grace, right? And, and, and it's really about where our hearts are. And so it's like if, if uh, my grandson didn't stop walking till he was 14, I would be disappointed, right? right? So, you know, what, what do we... So if God looks at us, and I've been a Christian 35 years, and I've memorized John 3.16, and that's it, this, it that's a problem, right? Because that, that, it's not about memorizing Scripture, right? It's about... The importance of Scripture in our life. Because if I ask you questions about your hobbies, you've memorized things about them. Because they're important to you. If the Scriptures are important to us, you should know the Scripture. So if you've been a Christian a long time and you don't, that's a heart check. The principles, you know, why don't you hide God's Word in your heart? If, if you don't know any lost people, and all you know is Christian people, why is that? Right? Maybe you've slot slid away maybe not doing or being the person uh, that you're supposed to be so whatever those things are for you we you need to check your heart so here's the first question when you read your bible are you paying close attention to what it says about the condition of your heart right when you read it you go oh yeah i know a guy just like that right i, I like that i love to do that oh that's definitely my wife Right? Now that's, that's my coworker, whatever it is, right? Or do you go, oh, man, that's me. That's me 24-7, right? Uh, the word will expose where your heart is. If you don't know where your heart is, then how can you learn to lean upon Jesus so he can actually transform that place of your heart? If you're not aware of where it's broken, then you can't say, Jesus, fix it. Right? You've you got to figure out where that is, and the Word exposes that. Let me step back a little bit further. If you aren't even reading your Bible, then your attitude, your heart, will become darkened. It will become angry, fear, frustration, self-righteousness. You'll become judgmental, and you'll become a Pharisee. You'll become pharisaical. It... it it comes back to the word feeding your life with truth, with light. Taking Jesus' words to mean what they really mean and not pushing off on somebody else, some other sinner out there or somebody that hurt you. Don't worry about that. Jesus will take care of that. You worry about you and the people you or I might have hurt. So 
those principles help us clarify situations we're in, especially our heart attitudes. So here, here, here's a question. This is in your little sheets here if you want to do it, and I suggest you do assess yourself. Um, again, it's important. I put these things sometimes in there because the very act of going, that's where I am, is, tells us, right? It, if I just go, yeah, I'm in this someplace, I don't have to confront it. I don't have to deal with the truth. Because I'm, I'm, I'm between you know, zero and ten, and there's some place. Yeah, I'm, I'm maybe in the higher end. Put a mark. Say, this is where I think I am. So here's the first one. Are you critical or are you hopeful in your heart? So critical is uh, you're constantly looking at people and go, why doesn't that person get their act together? What's wrong with that person? Why don't they get a job? Why don't, you know, always critical, always looking for the bad rather than the good. You always compare yourself to others. Yeah, I'm a, I only serve Jesus very well, but I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, that guy doesn't do anything in the church at all. At least I show up. And, and we compare, right? That's critical. We're always looking for something negative, something bad rather than what is good. Hopeful is we, we look, we come into church, we come into relationships and go, my goal today is to build someone up, right? To find something about them I can go, that's great. You keep doing that. Here's where you hit. Thank you for encouraging me. You build someone up. That's being hopeful. It's seeing people through God's eyes, not through my comparison. So where are you on that? Critical to hopeful. In everyday life, as you go through life, what is your heart attitude? Where do you stand? The second one, unloving and to loving. So uh, unloving is you see things through the law. There are certain rules people have to keep. And if they keep them, then you're okay with them. If they break rules, your rules, your standards, then, then I'm not going to have anything to do with that person because they just don't do things the way I like them. Um, that's unloving. Um, we have conditions, right, that I'll love you if you do this. I'll help you if you do this. It's always thinking reciprocal. And, and we Christians, we don't, we, we do this, at least I shouldn't say we, I, I do this this way. I um. I serve someone, and I do it out of the goodness of my heart. And it's really, I probably do it because I just want to serve Jesus. And then maybe that person that I serve, kind of a week later, I go and I go, how come, you know, so-and-so had to clean so-and-so's house, and how come that person didn't show up? Man, I'm not going to do that anymore with that person. That's, that's unloving, right? Um, judging a person based on their performance. Now, it didn't reciprocate to me, but for some reason, I'm, you know, feel responsible for someone else. And, and we triangulate this stuff all the time. That's still, just because you're, you're loving at the moment doesn't mean down the road, right? Your heart doesn't change depending on the situations. And, of course, we know what loving looks like because that's what Jesus does. We see things through grace. We're constantly going, I, that person was mean to me because... They're broken, just like I am. That person did a horrible thing because they're broken, just like I am. Maybe broken in different places, but we're still sinful. And then we love them without conditions. We're not looking for anything reciprocal. We're just loving them. doesn't mean you don't put boundaries up to people that can cause great harm in your life, but you can put boundaries up and still love someone. You can put boundaries up and be very aware of, okay, I got a lot of boundaries up, but they're doing okay now. I can take down one boundary, get a little close. Maybe I can help them, right? So boundaries don't always have to go up and be permanent, right? right? They can be in flux as people are transformed and changed by God's, God's grace. The, the final one, self-righteous to humble or an understanding heart. So 
Uh, self, self-righteous is we're guilt-driven. We've got to do things, otherwise we feel guilty about it. They're, you know, you can read through them. They're all there. We, we feel like we got it all together that if only someone understood the Bible like I did. If only someone had a loving family and controlled their children and their wife or, or husband like I do. If only people had the work ethic I do. If only people had the, the, the view of cleanliness that I do. If only people had the right view of how church should be done like I do. Those are all um, self-righteous attitudes because it's all me-centered. It's what I do, right? I like this, therefore everyone else should. If they don't, then they're obviously wrong. Or, like Jesus, humble, we're mercy-driven. We're constantly entering a situation going, how can I show mercy to someone who does not deserve it? That's what mercy is. You don't show mercy to people who deserve it. You show mercy to people who don't deserve it. And that's what Jesus did. Um, we, We also, when you're humble, you see your own sin before you see somebody else's sin, right? And we we're not pointing fingers, we're looking inside as well. Um, and we realize that we're broken without Jesus, that we're the worst of all men and women without Jesus. So wherever you might be in those lists, check those things. Check, put, put a mark someplace, either do it now or do it later as you kind of pray through this. But uh, God is concerned with our hearts because our hearts matter. It matters for our growth it matters for bringing glory to God. It matters as people look at us. We don't want our crappy hearts to get in the way of someone seeing Jesus, right? And the more our hearts align with his, the better off we'll be. So let's, um, let's just pray and ask God uh, to make our hearts like his. And then I want to, before we have communion, I want to show you a, a video, a music video. Um, many of you might know this song, but listen to the words because I think the song really captures the heart of, of this passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for us. Father, we can't change our hearts on our own. We are a divided people, people that we, we want to do good, as Paul says in Romans 7, but we find that sin that lives in us, rules in us, causes us to do the thing that we don't want to do. No one here, God, wants a critical heart. No one here that follows you wants to be unloving. No one here wants to be self-righteous. Father, that's not what we want but we find ourselves falling into those things, and we need transformation. And so, Father, expose the reality of our heart that we might see it, bring it before the cross where our guilt and our sin is taken away and where transformation is possible so our hearts could be ever turned to become more like Jesus's. Father, we love you. We want to love you by doing the hard work of really assessing where we're at. And we can do that, God, because we are secure in your love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Our salvation is secure. We are part of your family. We are your beloved children. And in that relationship, we have freedom to search our hearts and bring them before you boldly and say, God, this is where I'm at. I need you. I am weak. Strengthen me. I lack faith. Increase my faith. I I see only through my pride, God. Take away my pride. Father, it's at the foot of the cross where these things are dealt with. So we give you praise and honor that you are all-powerful and you can change your hearts. And Father, as we listen and and contemplate over this song before the Lord's Supper, we pray, God, that we would uh, see where we might be in these lyrics and that we would give ourselves over to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.